Word for You is presented by Grace Point Church in Lakewood, Ohio. We are located at the intersection of Warren and Alger and welcome you to visit us in person or online at gracepointlakewood.com. That's G-R-A-C-E-P-O-I-N-T-E-L-A-K-E-W-O-O-D dot com. Listen to podcasts of sermons from our pastor, Mike Bartolone, and various guest pastors. You will see that grace is always the point, and you are always welcome. the Lord. Good evening, everyone. This is the night. It's Good Friday, everybody. But Sunday is coming. Good Friday. Christians today need to embrace the message of the cross. Jesus explained to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law that he must be killed and on the third day be raised from the dead. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, Never, Lord, never. This shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to him, Get thee behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. It's Good Friday, everybody, but Sunday is coming. We read in Matthew 16, 21 to 25. Jesus tells his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, flesh and things of the world, and take up his cross, burdens, life's issues, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life, pleasures of the world, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my, for me will find it, life eternal with Christ. It's Good Friday, everybody, on the road to Sunday. We are to embrace the resurrection. Jesus calls us to the cross. Good Friday is the road to the cross. Look ahead, Sunday's coming. There's no Easter Sunday without Good Friday. There's no resurrection without the cross. We are commissioned to go out and tell all nations the good news that Jesus Christ is the risen and living Lord. Tell everybody of the truth, for the truth shall what? Free indeed. There's a Good Friday for all of us. It's Good Friday, y'all. Look out. Sunday's coming. Let us worship. week as I was studying about Good Friday and even Sunday Resurrection, the Lord spoke to me very clearly to emphasize that Jesus had a full body resurrection. And when he came out of the grave, even his own disciples and the women who were first at the tomb did not recognize him. They thought he was the gardener. When he walked on the road to Emmaus with his two disciples, 
They didn't know who he was until he broke bread, until they had communion. Because the way Jesus was mutilated on the cross was not the way he came out of the tomb. He's the first fruits. He's the first fruits. As beautiful as he was as a young man, that's the way he appeared when he came out of the grave. He was perfect. Now you might be thinking, well, didn't he show Thomas his hands? Yeah, the spots were there, but not a deformity spot. Not a, anything like he was maligned when he was beaten or the th thorns you know, the, on his head. None of that was visible when he rose again from the grave. That's why when he was on the cross, he said, it is finished. His last words on the cross, it is finished. Everything is complete. Everything is done. And so tonight as we're here, ready to receive who he is, the bread of life. Our life is his life. Amen? We have life because he lives in us. And today when you take this bread, if you need healing, if you need a miracle, if you need something that's so personal that you can't share it with anybody but you know deep in your heart, something between just you and him, if you make that your prayer, if you make that your focus when you eat this bread, that miracle will take place in your life. Because this is the meal that heals. This is the meal that heals. Amen? We sang about the blood. It's power in blood. Amen? If it was just one drop, it was enough for the whole world. For God so loved the world. Not for God so loved just Grace Point or your favorite church or your favorite preacher. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Amen. And when he had given thanks, he broke the bread and he said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together.
Jesus is the mediator between God and man. He made a way. In fact, he's your only way to God. So you can't make it any other way. There's no other roads. It's only Jesus. You know, a lot of the... the A lot, of, a lot of the world today is, you know, they, they could say the word God. You know, there's a lot of people even in other religions that say, isn't our God and your God the same? I says, my God's name is Jesus. And as soon as you say Jesus, everything changes. See, Jesus is, he's God. He died for the sins of the whole world. The Bible says God was found in Christ. He's the mediator. And he's the only way for any person to be reconciled to God. And he's given each of us the ministry of reconciliation. That we might tell others the good news. Amen. The good news is all their sins have been forgiven. All your sins are forgiven in Christ. I mean, what a benefit package. You know, that's like past, present, and future. That's like, how could you refuse to say yes to Jesus? How could you not just invite him into your heart and say, Jesus, be my Savior, be my Lord? I, you know, you may not even understand it. I remember when I first got saved on that one day in a long time ago. <laughs> 1976, I believe. Was it 1976? January 1976. And I, I could still remember that day when I gave my life to Christ. I could remember the service and I could remember this, the pastor and everything. It was like a, a moment in eternity. And that's the great thing about the cross, about all of history, all of history revolves around this one event. Everything in this world is about the cross. And Jesus said these words to us. He said, In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup... You hold it up with me. This cup is the new covenant. Say, new covenant. In my blood, he said. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes again. Let's drink together. Only one thing to tell you about, and that is Sunday, when we celebrate, amen, Resurrection Sunday, celebrate our risen Savior. He is risen, amen, risen indeed, amen. It's okay to proclaim, it's okay to talk in here, you can say something, amen. It's okay to shout. <laughs> I would like to talk a little bit tonight just about Good Friday. You know, somebody said, in fact, I think I wrote it in here somewhere along one of my teachings in here somewhere, one of these pages. Oh, there it is. Somebody said, what is good about Good Friday? I've discovered that 
the age of the angry God ended on Good Friday. Not angry anymore. That's part of my message. Because of Good Friday, the battle is over. You're no longer, if you're born again, you're no longer a sinner, but a saint. You're no longer a sinner. If you keep sinning, then you have to ask yourself if you're born again. Because if you're born again, you're a saint. In the age of a loving father, the good, the good father is the age of a loving father that began on Easter morning. This is a good, say good, good Friday. Let's turn in our, turn in our Bibles to John 19. I know it's very customary. I, we've done it over the years. I've been pastoring now 37 years. And uh, I can't believe it. Where to go? <laughs> John 19, verse 30, we used to always do the seven sayings of Christ on the cross. This is one of them, and this is the one that I chose. John 19, 30. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, vinegar, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. If you go up to verse 28, don't turn your page, but just go up a couple of verses. Verse 28. Look at verse 28. It says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, all things were now accomplished, that the Scriptures might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. And then he had the vessel of sour wine, and he had it at the end at 30, and then he said, it is finished. All things are now complete. Everything is now concluded. And when John said these words, there were st they were spoken. I don't know if you understand this, but they were spoken in the per perfect passive tense, which denotes an action which is completed in the past, but the effects which are regarded as continuing into the present without end. And that's hard for us to imagine, hard for us to understand, because we live in a time continuum. There's no time in eternity. And nothing that happens in time could, be poss could possibly intercept this act of God's redemptive genius. Jesus was the one who bears the very nature of God, and radiates the Father being to the whole world. Because, listen, you got to say it again. The battle is over. You know, Andrew Womack wrote a great book, The War is Over. And it's all about the same thing. The battle is over. And these three scriptures, I'm going to give you these. I have three scriptures that speak truth to us rather than what religion says to us. According to Ephesians 2.6 it says, we have been seated with Christ in heavenly places. Say, places. How many know that word is plural? Amen? First, and then the second, second scripture, it's in 2 Peter 1, 4. It says, we have been made partakers of, a divine, of, a, of divine nature. Boy, our nature, when you're born again, your nature is completely changed. And you may not understand that. You're trying to figure it out. You know, some people look at you like deer in a headlight. But we get it. It's a part of the package. And the third one is Colossians 3.3. 3, we have been hidden in Christ and absorbed completely in God. And as much as we talk about the future, we often miss the truth about the present, the now. Because there's a lot of scriptures in the Bible that specifically talk about right now. The divine message of Resurrection Weekend, which is tonight, is about, is about less about the future hope and more about a present reality that only gets better and better and goes from glory to glory. And don't get me wrong, yes, it's about the future because I know what Jeremiah 29:11 says, that he gives us a future and a hope. But it's just as much about the now. Apostle Paul, who writes two-thirds of the New Testament, wrote this to us in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2. He said, today, 
is the day of salvation. He didn't say it's tomorrow. He didn't say we could wait till tomorrow. He says it's here, present in the now, today. See, it's pointless to get hung up on the future because all that we truly have within our grasp is now, is today. And we're only going to go from glory to glory from now to now. And thankfully, Christ is within us now, and he is, now, he is, he is the now expectation of today glory and our future glory. Colossians 1.27 says, Christ is my hope of glory. Amen? And Apostle Paul and other writers of the New Covenant never relegated God's good news to a future possibility that we would get, get it if we do our best to be good Christians. Instead, the message was a declaration of something that God did on our behalf. This is, that's the hardest thing about the cross. It's the hardest thing to accept. It's just to accept what he did. Because it says in John 6:29, the greatest work that we could do is just believe about what God did for us. All of us in this room, whether we accept this truth or not, it's still done. It's still finished. So we need to take part in through our simple recognition that we all have been included in his love. See, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Amen? And our future is something we partake in, we are partaking in today. And many relegate heaven, perfection, and freedom from the sinful nature to a day far away, something that we will eventually attain when we die. But if death is our freedom from imperfection, then go ahead and consider yourself dead. See, Apostle Paul said these words to us in Romans 6, 11. <clears throat> Romans 6, 11. Let's go there. He's got it up there. He beat me. You've got to give me some time, John. Romans 6, 11. It says, Likewise, you also... Reckon, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed. To what? To sin. But alive to God in Christ, Jesus our Lord. To be dead. Colossians 3, 3 says, For you died and your life is hid with Christ in God. See, the declaration of our salvation is about what has been done. It is finished. Through the work of Christ. He became our sinful self, our imperfect self, <coughs> excuse me, and we became his perfection. I got a tickle. Is that bottle you think is big enough? What makes this bottle so special is it's smart water. You notice when they created that, they didn't say, this is dumb water. Because not anybody would have bought it. They said, I'm buying no dumb water. So, you know, these marketers are pretty sharp, you know. 2 Corinthians 5.21. 2 Corinthians 5.21. says it, for he made, for he, God, made him Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. See, when Jesus was on that cross suffering and dying, he was dying for the sins of the whole world. It was grueling. When you study and you, you know, read about the death of Jesus, it's hard to stomach. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie The Passion. I mean, if you've seen that movie... <laughs> I mean, Mel Gibson did a great job, but I believe it was worse than that. I believe it was worse than anything we could imagine. The Bible says you couldn't even recognize his face. When Jesus died on the cross, our imperfect self died along with him. All of your failures died. All of your mistakes you've ever committed in your life were crucified. All of your negative emotions were buried once and for all. Perfection has been paid for. It says in Hebrews 10, 14, 
For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. I know it's hard for you to understand this, but you are perfect in the Spirit. See, in the Spirit realm, you're perfect. We have to deal with the other part of you. See, completeness has been given freely. Colossians 2, 9 and 10. For in Him, Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in Him, Jesus, who is the head of all principality and power. You're complete in Christ. Now, you might be thinking, I've heard this stuff before, but you know what? Sometimes you could hear this a thousand times. You just need to get to the place where you start believing it and living it because it will change your life. You'll never be the same again. See, the bottom line to it all is God had to deal with sin once and for all. At the root of all sin is the knowledge of good and evil. If you're still eating at that tree, good and evil, still trying to figure it out, you're eating at the wrong tree. There's only one tree we should be eating at. It's the tree of life. That's Jesus Christ. Amen? The false reality that there's another way to live in perfection. A lot of people believe that they can do it. It's been proven you can't do it. People think they still can do it. I know I can do it. I know. Just give me another chance. You know, how many chances do you need besides a thousand? See, it's the deception of self-effort effort, and the lie that says humanity has defects. And it does. Amen? It's the lie that man wasn't made perfect and that we're not good. But God made man and declared in the book of Genesis, after he created man, he said, it is good. And somewhere along the way, we stopped believing that and started trying to be good. Sure, sin tainted us. But before sin tainted us, Jesus sainted us. He sainted us. Ephesians 1.4, it says, Just as He chose us in Him, Jesus, before the foundation of the world. When were you, when were you chosen? What does it say? You were chosen before the foundation of the world. That speaks volumes of your, of your value. It speaks volumes of your worth and how Jesus sees you. You were found in Christ way before you ever got lost in Adam. And what Jesus did is restored us back to the Father in our original design of who we are in Christ. That's where we always were. And that's where we'll always be. Sin could never steal our origin and could never change our design. Mankind's problem is always found between their two ears. Grab this ear with this. With your two hands, that's the problem. The, the problem is between the ears in our head. We believe the lie that we lack something. So we gave in to the deception to try and gain something through our own effort. That's called religion. See, when we did this, we entered a lower domain of unbelief, and our understanding was darkened by deception. Our eyes became evil and darkened, and the world we began to see, we see through a darkened lens of unbelief. Unbelief in what? I'm glad you asked that question. In the constant truth of God's goodness. In our origin, in our eternal identity, we sang a song tonight that he saw eternity in me. He sees eternity in you. Hey, listen, if you, could, if you knew what God sees when he sees you, you'd be running up and down these aisles. And you, don't, and you wouldn't even care what people thought. As his sons and daughters, we began seeing our father when we're deceived. We begin to see our father as a judge rather than a loving father. But God took it upon himself to clear up our misunderstandings about him by sending Jesus to us. So Jesus 
came in the form of a weakened and frail mankind, susceptible to our sin and struggle, yet walking in complete victory over our darkened mindsets. He came and became our brokenness in order to completely destroy everything once and for all. God didn't leave us to our own devices and our own solutions because if he did, we'd be a mess. Instead, he, God, made a decision for us and took care of the problem as us. That's why I say all the time, and it's hard for you to catch, when you meet Jesus, you meet you. He is you. Because he said in John 14, the things that I have done, you can do. And not only will you do what I have done, but when I'm gone, you will do greater things. He said that about you. But in doing this, he showed us his continued and unbreakable commitment towards us. Romans 5.8, let's turn there. But God demonstrated his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, while, I mean, some of us, this is 2,000 years ago almost, Christ died for us. You were on his mind even then. He laid down his life for those who didn't want anything to do with him because he knew that we had forgotten who we were. We had given in to the false identity, that old Adamic self, was full of deceit and destined to die, not as punishment for sin, but as a result of sin. Christ came to reveal the Father, not to appease the Father. Christ came to express God's love for us. He came to show us God's love, not make God love us. You've got to understand this. See, God never stopped loving us. He has always and will always love his creation. God decided apart from what we thought to take on the death we inherited as a result of sin. He did not desire to continue his existence without us. He made us for himself and planned an eternal friendship with us. He wouldn't have it any other way. So what did he do? He died. And he died as us. He tasted death, death and separation on behalf of us all. you got to read the scripture with me. Tell me when you're there. Hebrews chapter 2. you got to read this one. You probably have read it a thousand times, but maybe you just didn't see it. How many ever read a scripture and said, I just never saw that before? Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. It says, but we see Jesus. Jesus. Say Jesus. It says, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. Crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, might taste death. For who? Everyone. Everyone in this world, even the people out there that are driving around or eating at, eat a, eating at a fish fry or at, at Longhorns, he, died, he tasted death for everyone. Even those who will not acknowledge him today. He tasted death for everyone. Not that God needed a sacrifice, but we did. The cross didn't change God's mind about us. Rather, it changed our minds about God. Jesus showed us that God was not angry with humanity, but humanity had become angry with God. And not only did he show us what God was like, but in his death, he mystically swallowed up our fallen nature and the separate sinful self that man had created through unbelief, and he rendered it powerless. Not only did he die for us, but he died as us. Just as Adam sinned as us, 
Let's go to Romans chapter 5. I have to read this with you. Romans 5. I'm sweating. Is it hot in here or is it me? Huh? I should have never wore this coat. I'm like dripping. Romans 5, verse 12. Therefore, say therefore. How many know that's therefore of something that was previously said? Just as though, just as through one man sin entered the world. Who was the one man? Adam. And death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. For unto the law law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who was a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense, For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For judgment which came from the one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive an abundance of grace. Say abundance of grace. Whenever you see grace in the Bible, it means God's ability, not yours. I know you want to call it unmerited favor, but it also means his ability to do what you can't do. Reign in life through one Jesus Christ. Therefore... As through one man's offense, judgment came to all men. You read that right there? Resulting in condemnation, even so through one man, righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in the justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. In his death, he became us and destroyed the individual separate fallen identity that we had created in Adam. He became the false identity that we had taken on and completely obliterated it in his death on the cross. Once for all. That's why Apostle Paul said in the book of 2 Corinthians 5.14, he said these words, For the love of Christ compels us. Because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. They don't even know. Most people are not born again. They have no idea. They're clueless. That's why we're here, to tell them. Amen? Because we have been included in Christ's effective, completed work on the cross. We have been translated out of darkness and unbelief, depression and sickness and sadness. All the effects of sin and the curse are no longer yours to embrace. That world is gone. See, in Christ, you're free to breathe the air of heaven. In Christ, you're free to breathe the air of heaven. You are free to enjoy your everlasting life today and every day. When Jesus said it was finished He was not making a half-hearted declaration regarding his work on the cross. No, his plan was all-inclusive, and his work was fully finished. I don't know if you know this or not. You probably do. But in 1 John 3, 8, the B of that verse, it says, For this was the purpose that the Lord came, to destroy the works of the devil. Was Jesus successful? then why do we have so many Christians resurrecting a defeated devil? Why do we spend so much time with devils and battling devils if he already did the work and it's finished? He left no part of your being out of the equation of his death and resurrection. Galatians 2.20 is your starting point. 
I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives. If there was any scripture I could ever ask you to memorize, it would be this one. And every morning when you get up, I would ask you to recite this to yourself. And at noon and in the evening. But Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. <coughs> What's that, babe? Oh, she wants me to read that whole scripture t together, so I'll read it again. So you blame her for me going back. I have been crucified with Christ, comma. It is no longer I who lives, comma, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. See, in Christ, I'll say it again. In Christ, you're no longer a sinner, but a saint, a son, a daughter of God. You are no longer under a curse. He became a curse for us, it says in the book of Galatians. You're no, you no longer have a sinful nature. You are partakers of a divine nature, 1 Peter 1.4. You are perfect in the spirit. You are holy. You are blameless. You are complete. You are good. And this list goes on and on and on and on and on. What to do? Only one thing. Receive the gift of righteousness. Start practicing righteousness. Start living your life as one who understands your righteousness. Start today to enjoy it. Reign in life. Declare who you are in Christ because your, uh, your identity matters to you. Declare who you are out loud and daily. Jesus finished the work of God on the cross. The mistake Adam did, Jesus undid. That's how you, that's how you interpret what I just read in Romans chapter 5, 12 through 19. The mistake Adam did, Jesus undid. What Adam tainted, Jesus sainted. He became our sin and we became his rightness. He became our darkness and we became his light. You are the light of the world. Shine. Keep open house at your house. Let other people come in and be blessed. Make your house so inviting that people want to come in. They see the shades are open and the light's coming in. You're not afraid of the light. You're a child of light. You're not a child of the dark. He became our failure so we could become his success. Your identity is completely found in him and as him. You don't get your, get your own separate cross. You were united with him on his cross. Remember that scripture in the front, one of the four Books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where it says take up your cross daily and follow him. Not for you, sorry. Your starting place is Galatians 2.20. It's no longer I who lives. You don't have to pick up a cross and deny yourself anymore. You're already dead. Didn't it say in Romans to reckon yourself as dead? That's what it said. That's what we need to do. In fact, it says in Romans 6 that you were baptized into his death and raised to new life. Baptism doesn't save you. Confession doesn't save you. Christ saved you. In Colossians 2.11, in the Good News Translation, it says, In union with Christ, you were circumcised. Not with the circumcision that's made with human hands or human beings, but with the circumcision made by Christ, which consists of being freed from the power of sinful self. Think about your worst failure in your life. Think about your worst failure. Think about your greatest regret, your haunting memories. Each and every one of those were dealt with on the cross of Christ. Every single one. And they no longer define you at all. Those mistakes are no longer your mistakes. 
Those were actions done by a person who, have for, who had forgotten their original design, but who has now been awakened to the truth of their now being included in Christ. Today, count yourself as being completely dead to the old you. Say, the old is gone. The new has come. That's my sermon Sunday. In fact, the old man is dead. Have a little funeral for it if it needs be, but don't live another day in relation to it. Count yourself as being one who was dead and now alive, awakened from the deathly sleep of unbelief. See yourself as perfect, holy, and beautiful. Look in the mirror and see the beauty of God shining right back at you. You are love, you are holy, you are perfect, you are accepted in Christ. Amen. Thank you.